tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Fool's Gold, Suicide or Homicide, Tennessee Baby Broker, and Donald Eugene Webb. Uh, this is talking the bell with Robbie and Crystal. Um, Did you just come up with that show name on your own? Just now, yeah. Oh God, Robbie! Did I tell you I'm gonna be taking a class? I think I told you. I told you. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if you told me on air. So this might be the opportunity for you to tell. Did Did you tell me on air? Uh, no. So why don't we actually introduce? the show and then i'll t- i can talk about it then <laughs> oh i'm sorry i thought we were going to some april fool lady april oh Fools. this is talking the bell um, yeah sorry. hi this is your co-host crystal this is your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast um robbie what's going on with you well uh, today I had an interesting experience at work. I was trying to get down to um, the water in a ditch. Like the ditch was not full. There's a stream at the very bottom, mm-hmm. and I was trying to climb down it to do work stuff. And because you work in a ditch, right? Uh, my work often takes me to ditches, as well as ponds, rivers desert, all sorts of terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trying to get down down into this ditch. And it was very steep. And I thought, like, maybe I could just sort of gradually slide down it mm-hmm. and catch myself and not, like, go into the water. The water wasn't deep. It was, like, at most two feet. Um. But no, it, it, it did not work out quite that way. Instead, I, I slid right into the water. Uh, you know, it went up to like wherever on my legs. And I had the sort of body reaction where I believe this is the exact same thing that would happen to my body if I was pushed out of a plane without a parachute. Like my chest like seized up and and my, my, my heart went crazy. And I mean, you know, and it was just ridiculous because it's not like I was sink, you know, sinking into a bottomless pit or something. I, my feet were touching the bottom. Was there any threat of quicksand? Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay. But, but it was just like, it was the suddenness and uh, I don't know, I guess getting wet, especially like literally at the very last few minutes of the day, mm-hmm. work day. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's 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 my life. I, I get really scared uh, slowly sli- sliding into a, a ditch with uh, relatively clear running water. How about your day? <laughs> um, uh, well, my day wasn't as interesting as that, but um, I am as of next week going to be well. First of all, I'm starting. 
uh, this class on my birthday. So uh, I'm going to be taking a sketch writing, comedy sketch writing, to be specific, uh, 101 course at the Upright Citizens Brigade Training Center in Hollywood. So... Wait, what? The Upright Citizens... Yes. You mean that show that was on Comedy Central back in the late 90s? Yes. Well, what came out of that <laughs> little comedy group, um, besides Matt Besser and Amy Poehler and all those folks, is they actually yes. started a number of uh, improv and sketch comedy theaters. Um, and so UCB uh, Training Center actually offers the only accredited program for uh, improv and sketch comedy. In the U.S., so... Accredited. Yes, you can get, like, a comedy degree. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I don't know what that means. I'm not... I'm not... I don't know that I'm going to be going for the full comedy degree, but I'm going to try the Sketch 101 class, and we'll we'll see what happens. So, um, interestingly, though, I was at a birthday party uh, this weekend, and just by pure happenstance, I happened to... Uh, I won't mention their name, but I happened to run into a long, long-standing UCB uh, member and performer. Mm. So it was just a weird coincidence. <laughs> I see that I did some elbow rubbing this weekend as well. So, so this was an actual party and not just like a wedding or a wedding reception. No, it was just or a bachelorette like a, yes. party. <laughs> Not wedding related whatsoever. It was just a birthday party. We got we went we got a big room for karaoke. We sang karaoke. Because you go to like a lot of weddings. Yeah, everyone I know is getting married this year, and it's been very expensive. Uh, but I love. <laughs> in case you, anyone who got married or getting married is listening, I love you, and I'm happy to be there and support you on your special day. <laughs> And, it, and, but it's getting and go, expensive. And, and go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Yeah, and leave review. a five-star review, and I love you. And um, no one else is allowed to get married now. Sorry, everybody else. I'm not coming to your wedding after this next one. But I'm going. To. Well, there you have it, people. Yeah. Uh, your your window me. is now closed. That, that was it. Crystal is out. If, I, if you didn't see me at your wedding already, I'm not coming. So. Except for the one I have to go to in, in a couple weeks. But then that's really it. It's going to be the last one. Anyway, um, so uh, Rumpers, all five of you that are now left, um, <laughs> wish me luck on my journey through through the world of sketch comedy. Hopefully uh, you'll notice improvements in this podcast as I become funnier. And I better become funnier because I paid a lot of money to take that course. So, well. I don't know. It kind of seems to me like I'm the one who needs help with improv improvisation. So, well, like, do you any- do you want to like? Here's what you do. You can just like sell your house. It's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Okay. Just sell your house, and All then right. come crash on our couch, and then you can start taking classes at UCB. Like, so your couch is that like in a house or an apartment? I don't know yet. <laughs> Depends okay. when you come down. All right. Well, I'm I'm just thinking like so. Is is it feasible to temporarily park a tiny house behind your oh, in, no. in, into your backyard? No, no. no. L A L A is not tiny house friendly. It is not tiny house friendly. But also, my future backyard will is the only thing that fits in it, and the only thing that's in it right now is a swimming pool. There's nothing mm. else. 
So if I got a tiny boathouse. If you've got a tiny boathouse, we could probably accommodate you. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so that that this is Tiny House Cast. Uh, uh, tiny Tiny House Cast uh, slash or, or Cat Cast. Cat Cast slash In- comedy sketch comedy <laughs> class cast. I haven't actually taken yet. Um, that sounds so exciting, though. I I'm, I'm, I really hope you have fun. Thank you. I needed I needed to do something that wasn't my job or this podcast. <laughs> so. So that's all I do, and I go to weddings. Also, <laughs> that. Um, hey, should we talk about uh, season two, episode eleven of Unsolved Mysteries? I guess we should. Um, so the first segment is a fraud segment. Uh, hi, kids. Hi, kids. <laughs> um, it starts with the filming of a commercial for a store formerly known as Furniture USA, which I guess there were several outlets in the Bay Area, or the San Francisco Bay Area, in um, the early 1980s. Now, I grew up in the Bay Area in the 80s, and uh, I certainly don't remember any commercials for Furniture USA. I would like, uh, if any rumpers out there recall these commercials, we would, I would love to hear from you. Um, so hit us up. Uh, but anyway, so the man in the commercials was the owner of the company. His name is Ed Barbera. Um, he opened his commercials with the with saying, hi, kids, in a really creepy way. And then um, closed the commercial by saying, bye, kids. Uh, I guess that was his catchphrase. Like, maybe people in San Francisco were running around saying that to each other. Yeah, you know, the, the, show, the show said he had a catchphrase. And I guess they... They, the way they structured the narration led you to believe it was by kids, but it seems to me that high kids was like the the one half uh, co catchphrase of this guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I uh, he his commercials are you know the same sort of um, local person who owns furniture or television or electronics store who acts crazy to get people to buy his stuff. Expanding his furniture game, he purchases a mine in New Mexico. Naturally, that's the transition between selling furniture on late night television is you want to purchase a mine in New Mexico. The mine was named Golden Gun Gulch, Golden Gulch, Golden Gulch. And <laughs> I didn't uh, record the name down, so I'm uh, glad you did. Well, I did because it was ironic because the former owners of the Golden Gulch hadn't produced any gold there, and that's why they were selling the mine. Um, so Ed Barbera convinced uh, investors uh, of his company that he had a secret processing technique to extract the gold that no one had ever used before. Um, so his company that I guess oversaw all these little adventures was called Dynapack. 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 And, um, they had some, uh, separate (laughs) companies where they were, get this, working to design automatic sofa beds Mm -hmm. and a nationally syndicated show on bingo. An, an internationally syndicated. Oh, was it internationally series. syndicated? Yes. That, oh my th- bad. This is, this is the triangular basis of this entire corporate empire: mm-hmm. a gold mine, building automatic sofa beds, and an international television series on bingo. Though, I mean, 
all three of those, they sound like someone had some sort of jar with every conceivable premise a company could be based around. Yeah. And, and Mr. Barbera just reached in and grabbed out three pieces of paper, and that's what he had to make his ad lib with. Yeah. I Well, it, it also reminds me of, like, an improv show where the audience just right. shouts suggestions, and then they have to <laughs> improv a gold mine and an internationally syndicated show on bingo. Uh, <laughs> when you take your improv class, if there's yeah, exactly. some sort of exercise where you have to shout out stuff for the people on stage... Yeah, shout out Goldmine, automatic sofa beds, <laughs> an international television series on bingo. Uh, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. I'm just going to lift those ideas right now, frankly, to put in my yeah. sketches. Uh, so anyway, mm -hmm. there was another important San Francisco businessman called Melvin Belli, and uh, he, he apparently signed a letter um, in support of these investing opportunities in the Dynapack. Uh, to to get other investors to get on board, um, so a lot of other folks saw saw Melvin's I, I don't know I guess support of this adventure. Even though Melvin Belli, when asked later, said he never signed this letter. Uh, which, yeah, or or I thought it was that he didn't read the letter. No, it's that he didn't sign it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess that I guess that's less damning. Than... Yeah. Um... I, or maybe he's, or maybe Unsolved Mystery said something like he had never seen the letter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which implies that he never signed it. But um, <laughs> so this this letter is being circulated to drum up other investors for Dynapack, and so because all this activity is going on, the Dynapack stock quadruples once and then quadruples another time. Well, because. Uh, because the the stock was growing so fast, it got the uh, security exchange commission's attention. And um, but before any freeze was put on trading, at some point, Ed Barbera becomes worth over a hundred million dollars because of his stock options in Dynapack. Um, we learn a lot about the sort of guy that Barbera was and the opportunities he was presenting to investors through a woman named Ruby who mm -hmm. uh, really wasn't, I don't know, distinct in, in any way, except that, like, when she talked, it kind of whistled through her teeth. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> well, you know, this show has so many unfortunate victims of fraud, investing fraud, yeah. that they just all sort of blur into each other after a while. Yeah, they're right? just, they're all the same rube, aren't they? They're yeah. like, he was so charming. He said you'd get your money back if anything went wrong, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So anyway, but Ruby's kind of the narrator of this first part of the story um at any rate uh because of the meteoric rise of the stock the sec starts investigating uh they freeze all trading for that for the dynapack stock of course the the stock drop stock i don't know how the stock market i don't want to explain how the stock market works who fucking buy cares? sell buy sell yeah just uh, the stock is dropping whatever who cares back to the gold mine <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care. Um, so, uh, so Ed, you know, sensing that maybe the hammer was coming down or whatever, he opened up um, the mine for investors to come by and sort of scrutinize the operations there. Um, so there's this really 
the reenactment is so fabulous because oh it is great it's so good and i i feel like the actor who's playing ed barbera he's like paul sorvino adjacent (laughs) okay okay yeah did he give you like a paul sorvino vibe i know i I talk about paul sorvino a lot i'm just kind of hoping that maybe he'll actually show up in a reenactment well you, you know i Paul Servino didn't immediately come to mind when I was watching this, but I was struck by how incredibly charismatic the uh, Ed Barbera, Barbera as portrayed in the reenactment was. I mean, I'm watching this and it's like, man, this guy, he is so good at those like stupid furniture commercials that he's really developed his routine to like make a pitch. Yeah. And I guess... I guess if you can get people to come into your crappy furniture store to buy crappy furniture, you you know, selling people on the idea of a gold mine probably is a bit easier in some ways. Certainly. Well, I mean, Ed Ed was the consummate showman. He would bring uh, his investors in. All of this is in the reenactment. And mm-hmm. they would get a special little red VIP construction cap to wear around mm-hmm. on the tour. <laughs> And the tour every time culminated with um, someone coming along and pouring this hot molten metal in this pyramid form. And then they would pull out this golden pyramid and then take a picture with it. So they show all these real pictures of Ed Barbera standing there with some goofy investor, their dumb red hat, holding this <laughs> golden pyramid. And, you know, they, Ed would tell them it was worth, like, you know, $150,000 of gold. You know, and then people got all hot and bothered by that, so they'd want to invest money. How appropriate was it that it was a pyramid? It was really on the nose. And I (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) Um, I mean, to be fair, though, Ed wasn't really running a pyramid scheme. He was just doing just, well, we'll get to it, but basically just doing straight up fraud. Yeah. Just straight up and down fraud. Um, so, um, you know, we flash over from the reenactment to an investigator. I'm not sure if it's the DA or what, but he... Uh, some guy like yeah, that. Yeah, some, some law enforcement person. And he explains that the pyramid uh, was not, in fact, solid gold. It was 99.9% copper. And that the copper had been trucked in from some other mine <laughs> because Golden Gulch produced nothing except dirt. <laughs> so I, I guess that's what that place literally is, is like a dirt mine. Uh, yeah, they're just, I mean, <laughs> in the reenactment, they're just basically moving dirt around with big, uh, you know, those the land mover machines. Um, so at this point, the New Mexico Bureau of Mines uh, noticed that the mine wasn't actually producing gold at the rate um, that they were claiming. They were saying like $93 million a year worth of gold were going to be pulled out of this mine. And the New Mexico Bureau of Mines is like, we who actually know about mines say that's not possible considering you can't prove anything's actually coming out of this mine. So... Um, a geologist was hired to go investigate. His name was David Fingato, and he had a marvelous beard. Uh, he was sent to the mine. He found no gold. Uh, so he was basically, and his brother gets interviewed for this segment, um, and we'll tell you why in a second. 
But David's basically assessed that Barbera was either a moron or a fraud because there was no way the gold they were say that was coming out of that mine could possibly there was no evidence that any gold had been pulled out, and if so, it was very little. Yeah, I made note of that as well, and also like what fascinated me was Fingado was someone that Barbera hired to come and test at the mine because he was somehow hoping that Fingado would confirm Barbera's. Uh, um, figures. Yeah, and I, you know, I, you know, as we learn more about David Fingado, I just find like I just like this guy a lot because he's obviously such an ethical, uh, intelligent person. He is the antithesis antithesis yes. Of, um, I thought I'd let you work it out first. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Of uh, Eugene Richmond, um, the guy who was um, uh, one of the lackeys for one of the Medford Hustle guys. Oh, yeah, I remember Eugene Richmond. I remember yeah. Him. He the, did the guy, time, too, yeah. Right, right. And he tried to make himself out as a good guy, but he was really, it was a case, more of a case of someone just covering his rear end. Whereas this is actually a genuine good guy. Um, well, at, at least he had a lot of scientific integrity. So mm-hmm. um, I'm, you know, which might have been to his peril. Um, so he, he goes, <laughs> yeah, foreshadowing. Uh, Bar- or, so Fingato goes to Barbera and says, look, there's no gold here. I, there, I can't find any evidence of that. You're not going to be pulling gold out of here. Um <laughs> So Fingato quits, but then um, Barbera's thugs, his mine boys, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what kind of security is out of mine. Uh, they throw they throw him off the premises, um, you know, and just being treated in that way. And I think probably right, rightfully so. David Fingato goes to the authorities saying, you know, this guy's out here committing fraud there's no gold coming out of this mine and they're they're saying they're making these profits uh to the peril of their uh investors and so the authorities completely ignore him we'll find out why in a second uh fingato then goes to cnn and um they show a portion of the interview unsolved mystery shows a portion of the interview from cnn from back then i think they also interview in unsolved mysteries interviews the original journalist who spoke with fingato uh for cnn but they uh cnn also interviewed barbara for the segment and i don't know about you but does did when they're interviewing fin fingato to you, to me, he looked like a Crispin Glover with a beard. Yeah, I mean, he was like a really slight, like thin, wiry guy. I'm gonna post a picture of of that of him on the, our social media so that our listeners can okay. uh, pipe it. Well, you're gonna post the picture of Christian Glover, Crispin Glover with a beard. Um, or no. <laughs> Fingato, but if I can find a picture of Crispin Glover with a beard, I'll post that too. It just kind of seems like Crispin Glover probably couldn't grow a very good beard. You know, it's, yeah, and that's what kind of struck me about when I saw this because I cannot picture Crispin Glover with a beard. He just seems like he would perpetually not be able to muster the facial hair for that. Mm. 
There's this, there's a pill this, for that when you can't muster your facial hair, right? I I, I guess does it also cause a re- is is it Viagra? No, Viagra- it's, it's the opposite. It's for your facial hair. It reduces boners and gives you beards. Uh, boner pills aside, um, <laughs> so Fingato makes his case to CNN. Suspiciously, five days after the interview, Fingato is found dead. Oh, Cristo, don't you believe in coincidences? It was just a truck accident, Robbie. Exactly, he got crushed by a truck. His own truck. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing weird about that. Not at all. No. And then a couple of days after that, Barbera disappeared. Uh, you know, people disappear all the time. Sure. Well, yeah. Barbara disappeared to Canada, even though Unsolved Mysteries shows us a Washington State driver's license uh, that says Vancouver, Washington on it. I think they may have been confused. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a bit confused by that as well. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he made it to Canada. I think he was in Washington State. <laughs> Is Unsolved Mysteries uncertain as to the geography of the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I think they might be. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, meanwhile, attention from the news story puts starts putting pressure on the sheriff of the county that the mine was in in New Mexico. And it comes to light um just some new shit comes to light man that uh the sheriff had been bribed by barbara to kind of look the other way shocking so i guess when fingato went to the sheriff and they didn't care um anyway uh so in washington state or canada somewhere uh barbara is actually picked up uh by the cops and was arraigned but he jumped bail and then the segment ends by saying he hasn't been seen since so that was in the mid to late 80s mm-hmm. um robbie do we get an update on this story we do uh, it turns out that after having jumped bail uh barbara dies of cancer in florida while still on the run which to me when i saw that like i kind of thought in a way it was like he didn't escape justice because he had to endure cancer instead Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i'm i'm not saying that you know it's still unfortunate that he didn't get the experience of being slammed into jail but I think that, like, you know, dying of cancer, I mean, if if it was a form of execution, it would be something that would be banned in most countries. Yes, it would be a very cruel and unusual type of punishment. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of... Hey, Robbie. Hey, Robbie. Yeah. Well, sometimes you just can't outrun the evil that is inside of you. (laughs) Uh, I guess not. Like, do you think like all the like all the millions he swindled out of people, it just created this black mass inside his body that just slowly ate him alive? Well, that sounds like that sounds like <laughs> such a great premise for a movie. <laughs> um, you know, yes, 
Uh, but the implications of that uh, are that bad people would die earlier than they do. And it just really seems like it's the, the worst people that make it into old age. I don't know. That's true. So. Uh, he, he, he was the exception, I guess, that proved the, the, the rule. Yeah. Um, but so. What I actually liked most in this segment was mm-hmm. when they mentioned he went, that when he skipped town, they, 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 they point out that he left a machine uh, for the phone line at his office to give the appearance of normalcy, like it had this message on it, like, hey, everything's still good, we're still in business, you're still going to get your money, even now, even though the mine is now totally abandoned. Yeah, I mean, what would you do if you, like, called your bank or whatever, and they're like, nothing to see here, we still have all of the money, you can come in anytime and get it, but probably don't, uh, we'll call you back, beep. Uh, so where, where are we, oh, we're transitioning to another case of a murder just sort of being brushed aside. Yes. In this This, case. In this case, actually by law enforcement, not by unsolved mysteries. Right, right. This is about uh, a young woman named Ray Ann Mauser. Mauser. Am I pronouncing that? Mauser. Yeah. Gosh. Oh, God. Um, and I believe this is around the same time frame, like 1986. Uh, her body was found next to a car with what I with a a shotgun wound in it, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a shotgun laying on the not the not the hood, the trunk. Mm-hmm. No, the hood. That was the trunk. Okay, yeah. What what one end of the car? And this is the most bizarre. We we've seen over the course of this show. Sometimes law enforcement makes conclusions, and gosh darn, if they just once they get that notion in their head, it just sticks like taffy, doesn't it? Yep, they are just like, oh, case closed. Put it on the shelf forever. We don't need to think about this ever again. And in this case, they decided that this was a suicide. That this woman committed suicide by shooting herself in the torso with a shotgun. Um, The way that Robert Stack introduces how the police came to this conclusion was that Rianne had had some sort of argument with her then-boyfriend... Mm-hmm. Three different witnesses heard Rayanne say she was going to kill herself. And so the reason the police, in spite of what was physically impossible, decided that Rayanne had killed herself is because they chalked it up to, well, she got broken up with, so she must have been super sad and she just killed herself by her car. Uh, yeah, naturally, of course, right? So we don't ever need to think about this again. Because, when, cause, you know, women be crazy. Exactly. Well, that's I, No, that's what this entire segment comes down to, is the cops yeah. deciding women be crazy, in spite of well, all the physical evidence. Well, her boyfriend seemed to suggest as such. What more do they need? Yeah, I mean, if a man said so. Yeah. In fact, I, I like how... I. At one point in their interview with the boyfriend, he said something that, like, that one of the things she said in their 
argument, breakup, whatever, was that it was, it was like a phrase, something like, what do I have to do to prove my love to you? Which I feel is the sort of self-aggrandizement that only a boyfriend who has murdered his girlfriend could possibly, and then tries to claim that she killed herself, could possibly delude themselves into believing someone would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this is like less of a mystery mm-hmm. and more a segment of uh, a quest for procedural justice. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, th- this, this, poor, this poor woman's family, and you got to feel poor, just really bad for them because they're so... I mean, every time they talk with them, they're absolutely broken up. Um, they're, well, they, they only really talk to the mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And so in the reenactments, we see her and what I assume is her father depicted recreating various... Going about trying to solve this situation in a much more scientific way than apparently the local law enforcement did. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of this was measuring how long uh, an arm would have to be in order to operate a shotgun shooting oneself. And I believe they, they found that Ray Ann's arms were not sufficiently long enough to operate the shotgun found at the scene, at least in the manner, uh, that uh, it was allegedly used. And that's just so strange too. Have you ever heard of anyone who commits suicide by shooting themselves in the chest with a shotgun? That that is like such mm. a bizarre way to go out. Was that how Kurt Cobain did it? Uh, well, I guess was when he, you're mar- did he rig something up and he was that musician guy that killed himself, right? Mm-hmm. I don't recall the details. I'm sure some. Nirvana stan out there will let us know. But anyway, moving on. Yes. So, yeah. they, so they conclusively prove it would have been difficult, if not impossible, for someone of Rayanne's arm length to have shot herself in the torso with a long shotgun. Right. I mean, and they, they can, they, they get, they could, the mother gets so many different experts to weigh in on every aspect of this case that it's just, um, you know, it, 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 this is like the height of frustration. Uh, yeah. They, well, and al- they, but also I want to add there's a bit where, before we get too far into all the experts that she taps, um, she is told by the medical examiner and law enforcement that her daughter would, res- they inquired about having an autopsy immediately. And um, they're told there would be an aut- they the parents were told there would be an automatic autopsy. Okay, I've yeah. never heard of that. That sounds like some bullshit <laughs> that they told the parents. And of course, they bury you know they have they make the funeral arrangements, bury their daughter, say goodbye, only to go back and find out no autopsy was ever conducted. So they have Rianne exhumed some weeks later. The medical examiner gives her an autopsy. They conclude that it's still a suicide. They found gunpowder on her left wrist and that it was a contact wound, shotgun wound to her abdomen. Um, so then they would start calling the experts, not being uh, satisfied with that. And they um, call in a man called John Butts. 
<laughs> calling a man named John, John Butts. And so, I, you know, there's a long sequence of John Butts, who is a, a doctor. Walking down a hall. Yeah. Did you make that note yes, of this? Yes. And I was like, John Butts, more like John Struts. Because <laughs> it's just him walking down a hall for a really long time. Well, it, it, it doesn't help that this is one of those cases where the actual person is playing themselves in the reenactment. Yeah. And, oh, like, know. yeah, like, like he is... The, the walk was probably the most noticeable thing in this entire episode of Unsolved Mysteries. You can't miss it. Yeah. I mean, I had um, Stayin' Alive playing in my head <laughs> while he was doing that. Uh, anyway, please continue, Robbie. Um, yeah, well, well I, I can't keep all the experts straight. Butts was the guy who, did, he was the one who determined that it was something about the muzzle of the weapon, right? That it was actually like, yeah, that she, it wasn't right up against her body. It was several feet away. Well, it, it the reason she would have had gunpowder on her arm is possibly because she was grabbing the muzzle of the gun to get it gun, away from yeah. her when it went off. So, therefore, exactly. she would have had the powder on her arm. Right. And so, you know, this, all this builds up to uh, the mother trying to, again, find justice. And she, I'm kind of vague on what the procedural aspect of this is. She goes to a grand jury to try to, like, get the, um, the, uh, ruling or whatever change from suicide to homicide no so the after john butts makes his case the medical examiner for roanoke county where all this is going down uh yeah. changes it changes the official cause of death from suicide to pending oh, depending. yeah and so at this point ann mosser the mother goes to a grand jury to open a homicide investigation Right, right. Um, but basically, I guess the way that the rules work, unless they have a suspect in mind, they can't, they're not just going to open an, the grand jury's not going to recommend to open an, like an open-ended homicide investigation. They have to have someone in mind, and there was no suspect. I mean, and, <laughs> the boyfriend, but whatever. Um, so. And didn't it seem like, like, how it comes off in the show is that, She's not aware of this when she goes in to make her case. No. Like she just finds out afterwards. Like yeah. why didn't they when why didn't they tell her so that she could like not waste her time? Yeah, yeah, or, or at the very least she could like make some sort of name drop of the boyfriend or something to like just get the ball rolling. It's it's yeah. absurd. Well, as someone who has recently at work been toyed with a pseudo-governmental organization wasting a lot of my time. Yeah, it'd be nice if you just told us what your answer was going to be in the beginning, you shitheads. Anyway, um, <laughs> so, I don't need to get into all that. Uh, so then they call, so the monster's calling a forensic investigator, right? Another one? Yeah, I so there's it. so there's John Butts, then there's a forensic... So the family calls in the forensic... <laughs> forensic <laughs> investigator, um, Dr. DeMaio, and uh, they do a little demonstration Um as to what would happen if uh oh yeah, yeah. the gun test yeah and so they they prove that the the as you move as she would have moved her arm closer to the trigger it would have moved the muzzle away from her body and it it would have been impossible to shoot herself interesting um, so 
Yeah. So anyway, so they have all this evidence that it couldn't have been a suicide. And they're sending letters to the, I think it's the district attorney in Roanoke. Mm-hmm. And they just won't reopen the case. Yeah. They're just like, got it. We got your letter. What do you, what do Chill you think? out. Was this boyfriend like the son of like I don't know someone in, who worked for the county or something? I don't know. But whose gun? Whose shotgun was this? Was this a shotgun that like Rand was keeping in her car? Whose gun was this even? Is it even uh, Cri- mentioned? Christo, I think that when you live in Virginia, there's just there's going to be a certain number of shotguns that just aren't going to be accounted for, right? Is, well, is it like are they like fire extinguishers? They're just like around. And Robbie, were there any updates with this? Or I don't think they gave us an update. I mean, uh, I know that like in subsequent research, I found. Well, I don't recall coming to, uh, coming across any like actual information one way or another on this case. Just unfortunately, her mother passed away a few years ago. Um, so yeah, that's sad. Yeah. And that's about it. This was um, there really wasn't much of a reenactment here. This was just like a bunch of forensic tests. In fact, really, the most of the reenacting is being done by the mother, who's having to recreate the experience of coming out of like court buildings, devastated that like her pursuit of justice is being foiled. This is kind of a cruel segment. Yeah, it it, it really is. I mean, I, in that, I don't really have much to say about it other than the. I mean, it, it really. It, I think what it really comes down to is that the cops made a call that this girl was crazy. She mm-hmm. shot herself, case closed. When evidence started presenting itself, which it should have been clear the moment they walked on the scene, that that couldn't have been possible. They were just so self-protective of their original, you know, assessment that they weren't going to reopen it. Which uh, brings us to our next segment. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, if you live in Virginia, uh, justice for Rianne, uh try to solve that case. Get get on the police. Come on, uh, internet sleuths. You, you got the Golden State Killer. Let's get, right. let's get this one, huh? Yes, yes. Right. Okay, it. so we're going moving on to a much more fascinating case which is the this this is like 101 dalmatians meets oliver twist it's so funny that you said that because the the main (laughs) villain in this segment is just throwing out cruella de vil vibes so hard is is her name cruella de vil cruella cruella de vil Okay, because in my notes I put Clarissa Deville. <laughs> that, uh, no, that was her, her younger, less evil sister. Okay, Clarissa. But Deville. yeah, but yeah, no. This whoever whoever was in charge of setting up the reenactments in this segment obviously was inspired by one one hundred and one Dalmatians. Uh, it's it's undeniable. Um, 
Now this this is actually what was this? Was this a Lost Loves segment? Yes, it was. Which is strange because like a lot of it is just describing a crime. But I guess since the people who committed the crimes are, are like long dead, right? Yeah, and they got caught. <laughs> and caught. Yeah. So uh yeah, this the was the crime the crime has been solved. The right. crime is solved. Um in fact just about everything in this was solved, so I'm sort of vague on how this this episode has had a lot of mysteries that aren't mysteries but um this is this takes us to tennessee it was tennessee right memphis tennessee oh okay i thought it was i thought the story took place in georgia no the woman's name is georgia (laughs) god i'm sorry there's a we're bouncing all over uh dixie right now robbie please Um, try to drink less before we start recording yeah but yeah this, bouncing yeah. all over dixie by the way is now the name of the episode okay excellent yeah no this this takes us back to like um i guess something that was going on for decades up to the 50s which um was a child child selling ring like child a child abduction sort of thing where actual kids who didn't have who actually had parents were being passed off as orphans and sold. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the so so the main character, the main orphan in this story, who's not a grown Cindy, woman, Cindy Lou Preston. Yeah, she basically was snatched up from. She was a toddler, and she was snatched up from the park. Um, mm-hmm. and this very well dressed woman in a black, an old timey black limousine. Uh, comes rattling down the road yeah just picture Corella Deville right and so this woman like you know comes down the road and she flings open her door and she says oh little girl would you like to take a ride in my limousine and then uh, the little girl you know teeters over and she gets snatched up and then immediately the the actress in the reenactment turns to her driver and goes drive and then they (laughs) and then they that's really how it happened um it is so so apparently the the mo here was that you know georgia tan she ran this this orphanage in tennessee and she got all these accolades and um tennessee children's home society yeah and she uh was a pillar of her community and um, you know, the children were very well cared for and healthy. It wasn't it wasn't really an Oliver Twist situation. They they were all very well looked after. Yeah. Um, despite uh, having been stolen off the streets, and Georgia Tan was in cahoots, as we learn, or it's implied, with this woman judge, Judge I think Camille Kelly or something like that. Voted one of the six most wholesome women in the world. Yes, along with Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, um, so this, what's the woman's name again? Cindy Lou Preston? Cindy Lou Preston. Cindy Lou Preston's mother comes to get her child back, and the judge, you know, and this is in the reenactment, the judge refuses. Right. Um, like in the reenactment, the um, the Corilla Deville character has like a whole row of children mm-hmm. that she just like she goes and she like names each one of them off. 
mm-hmm. and the judge is just like, well, okay. Yeah, the judge basically puts them in custody of uh, the Tennessee Children Home Society for Children, the Xavier's School for Gifted Kids. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I forgot the name of it, but uh, yeah. If so you do it- an X Men drop, I will be so so thrilled. Uh, we'll see. Um, so okay. the so the deal is with this whole uh, baby trafficking ring because that's what it was. Um, was that Georgia Tan would find homes uh, for these kids and with affluent families in either New York City or Los Angeles. Um, even though there would be parents in Memphis that were interested in adopting. Based, so And so someone bothers to actually follow Georgia Tan on one of these trips to drop off the children with their new parents. Like she's this guy. And they find nothing suspicious. Like they are not just putting the kids in the car at three in the morning. No, they're so not they doing get that. To, so they can get to the airport when no one's there. Mm-hmm. And, and taking, yeah. Yeah, and so basically this person, this man who, who I guess, secretly investigated Georgia Tan on one of these trips, found that they were like, they would have this hotel room and have all these kids, and then they would just one by one sign the kids off to whatever families that showed up, and that Georgia Tan was charging a placement fee to these uh, new parents and so at the you know she moves over 1200 babies or small children out of Tennessee into LA and New York um, she ends up being worth over a million dollars in 1950 from her little scheme and she had houses all all over and up and down Dixie uh, mm-hmm. so anyway so that's basically the end of the segment. Yeah. Is yeah. Is uh, Cindy Lou Preston at the very beginning was already reunited with her birth mother. Right. So, so the it wasn't thing... like they were looking for her birth mother. The reuni- reunification already happened. And instead we get an update basically about just another girl who was roped up in this ring. And what I'm kind of confused about is was this an update that they added in later and thus, this mystery segment didn't actually. Um, maybe, maybe when it originally aired, they showed this whole segment. There, there really wasn't a mystery about Cindy Lou Preston's uh, mother. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was a. Uh, they put a thing out there like if you're trying to find your uh, real parents or something, you think it may have been involved, part of this this whole ring, and maybe this additional woman was someone who called in. And they managed to reunite her with uh, her birth parents. Or yeah. Something. Well, the way it's tacked on, it just seems like it's part of the original segment. There's no like update. You know? Yeah. 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 It's just it's very it's very well. Yeah. There's not like an uh, update that flashes at us. Instead, we have Robert Stack on um, uh, the particular background he's at. Looks like some sort of park jogging track or something at night with like illuminated lights mm-hmm. um but like he he says something like because of you know uh, we're pleased to announce that we've uh, managed to reunite some, you know someone else involved with this uh, uh situation 
And so, like, I'm wondering if they, they filmed that and then inserted it in along with this update. Or if it was, at, like you say, like, maybe it was, like, part of the original thing. It's just a very choppily put-together segment. I think somebody, when they went back and, and when they were re-adding the updates to the original segments, I think someone just forgot to, like, put the graphic in. <laughs> well that that's that's also plausible i think it was just a mistake like i don't think they're intentionally trying to confuse us but i wouldn't i w- i wouldn't be surprised if like in a later episode we get the update that was tacked on to the segment uh, yes as we yeah. did with the baby napping update that was like two minutes of this episode <laughs> right there's a lot of baby kidnapping honestly This is actually, I don't know, this is shaping up to be kind of a depressing episode so far. We, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of looking the other way, a lot of corruption. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what? We we do get, we end up on a, I, I don't want to say a high note, but um, we get the story of Greg Adams in, yes. our, in our last segment. The uh, he was what a sheriff or the chief of police? He was. Is there a difference between the two? Yes. Okay. But you can Wikipedia that. I'm not going to explain it. Uh, so our last <laughs> segment is a wanted segment, and uh, it opens with um, police chief of Saxonburg, Pennsylvania, Greg Adams, uh, who had just moved from the big city from D.C to Saxonburg mm-hmm. um, looking for a little slower pace of life kind of remi- you know I just I just watched Jaws for the first time in my life and uh, you know I was getting- I'm so <laughs> I, I was going to mention Jaws but I was like oh I, you know I've already talked so much in this episode I don't want to like stretch this ap- episode out even more but what, you've kind of you opened really, it up were you really going to talk about Roy Scheider's character in Jaws right now it's the it's the it's the same situation. <laughs> wow, we were like on the same page about Cruella Deville and <laughs> Jaws. Um, yeah, it's the same situation. Like he's just kind of looking for a slower pace of life, and so they make him police chief of Saxonburg. Um, you know, it seems like in the short time that uh, Greg Adams was there, he he made a pretty big impact on the community. Everybody liked him a whole bunch. Sounds mm-hmm. like he's a real straight shooter, not a corrupt cop. No. Um. So uh, December fourth, nineteen eighty, in the parking lot of a feed store, gunshots break out. Uh, a young man who lived across the street hears the commotion going on, and um, runs down to his mom says hey mom there's a couple of guys fighting out you know shooting at each other in the feed store parking lot and the mom dismisses it in such a typical well in such a mom manner like oh don't be silly yeah but she says well yeah i mean it's hunting season which is strange because you you don't quite get a sense for it yet in the episode, but as we'll see late later on in the reenactment, the sort the the number of shots and the like how how often they're being shot and then the proximity to the house 
uh, does not strike me as the sort of shots you would hear during hunting season. No, I I don't think people probably hunt with pistols either. (laughs) (laughs) What do I know? Uh, (laughs) So... um, so the neighbor lady, I didn't catch her name, whatever. She runs out and in her front yard, there's Greg Adams bleeding in a bush. And uh, the woman notices that he's law enforcement because of the stripes on his pants. And uh, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to call, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to get you an ambulance. And he's like, well, say a prayer for me. And and I think Greg knew he, at that time he was going to die. And um, so anyway... The, uh, you know, I've been talking a lot, Robbie. <laughs> you can take it from here. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> a lot of me this episode. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's not too, like, this is a very strange segment, too, because we basically just get a rundown. Uh, well, we get a little bit of background on the, what turns out to be the murderer, uh, a guy named, um, what's it, Donald Eugene Don- Webb? That's right. And this was they tracked him via they tracked down this guy via the license he left behind because this uh, incident started out with a traffic stop and part of the reason why he was able to get the drop on Chief Adams was because Adams was having to look at his driver's license um, to confirm his identity. And that's when this guy decided, started shooting at him. And one thing I noticed about the driver's license, to, I don't know about you, but it kind of, like, to me it looked less like a driver's license and more like a movie theater ticket. Well, I think that's probably how they used to look. Really? Yeah, I don't think they had pictures or anything on them, like, back in old-timey days. Wow. Uh... Like 1980s old-timey days. No, no, Robbie. The driver's license was 32 years old at least. Oh, that's right. Because the thing (laughs) was, is the driver's license has the name Stanley Portas, Mm -hmm. who they they tracked down to a local cemetery. Uh, And when when they get in contact with Stanley's widow... She had married Donald Eugene Webb, mm-hmm. who had abs- assumed the identity of Stanley Portis, mm-hmm. and apparently was setting up some sort of ju- jewelry uh, heist yes. along with a, an uh, accomplice. And the reenactment for this is glorious because they go in, and you know he pretends to be interested in some rings, and he sends the guy running the shop back into the back room to fetch something more elaborate for his alleged lady love and as soon as the guy walks you know through the doorway out of the main room uh webb and his accomplice immediately start examining the room for whatever in the most suspicious manner that you could possibly do so It, it just looks ridiculous but um so Unfortunately, there's a convergence here because uh, Chief Adams runs into um, Webb uh, in the aftermath of this um, of this uh, situation, 
and pulls him over and by pulling him over he it was it was in a very bizarre situation where he was actually rushing to catch up with Webb who had gone off the main road into the feed store parking lot and had turned around and I guess the experts on unsolved mysteries explained that typically with law enforcement you want to be approaching their car from behind and because of the way the cars are situated um, Chief Adams was not able to do this and I think I, I kind of understand what they mean is like he's having to read the ID um, while being basically in the full field of view of Mr. Webb whereas if he had pulled him over from behind he would be uh, at, at the very least just perpendicular to Webb uh, so as he's reading the ID Webb pulls out his gun starts shooting Adams and despite being shot Adams and fully like throws down with this guy and they, they have, pretty they have like a like a tango with their pistols they're like tango right. dancing right they're 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 twirling around fire like Adams has got his gun out and he's shooting you know web shooting there's guns being shot all, all over the place naturally you know the sort of sound that you would hear during hunting season they get into the yard of the aforementioned family. Uh, Webb gets Adam's gun out of his hand, um, but it's empty. So instead, he just pulverizes uh, Chief Adam's face with it in a, in a pretty brutal attack. Um, and so uh, that catches us up to the present. Um, and... Did this case get solved? It got solved, right? No. Yeah. Sort yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, because we get a we get the weirdest update I think we've seen so far in this show. <laughs> yeah, I I was kind of vague on what exactly Yeah, it's it's so it's one of those updates where um it comes much much later. In fact, our, this update comes in 2017. Uh, yeah. So Eugene, uh, Donald Eugene Webb's remains were found buried in his ex-wife's yard in July of 2017. We don't mm. get any more explanation as to why they were digging around in the yard, if the ex-wife still owned the house. We don't get any more info than that. But his w remains were found in July of 2017. So, so I mean, basically, he's he's been found. <laughs> yes, they finally found him. Um, the, it, was, it was a tad bit late. Yeah, they just found his bones. But anyway, uh, and then authorities, after making that gruesome discovery, apparently located a secret room in the house that uh, Webb probably had been living in between 1980 when he shot uh officer uh greg <laughs> and uh they assumed that he had passed away in 1999 oh wow so right. secret room for 19 years and then buried uh in someone's front yard for 18 years after that well I don't remember the the secret room part. I must have. It was like distracted. it's it's like they they did the white text update. They did the first one about him his remains being found, and then they there yeah. was a second sentence 
that they oh, put in the okay. next, I, like the next slide. Because I remember the remains being found. And yeah, then I got, and then they, got and then they, I guess, yeah, they found the remains, and they were like, "Can we look in your house? Whoever owns it now, I assume it's not the ex-wife anymore, because there's no mention of her." No. Um, and she, she probably passed away at some point too, you know. And yeah. then um, somebody buys the house, unaware <laughs> that there is a FBI wanted person's remains in their yard and also a secret room that that person lived in probably for 19 years you know this this um this whole episode has had situate examples of like people who were not brought to justice by the justice system Mm -hmm. but in their own weird ways have been punished like we Mm -hmm. had a guy die of cancer in florida Mm -hmm. and this this guy ended up having to live in a room underground i mean yeah he he escaped being thrown in jail but he kind of imprisoned himself it sounds exactly this this was this this was definitely not the uh, what he had envisioned when he was planning this great uh, uh, diamond robbery or whatever yeah. he, he was, yeah, trying to put together. Yeah. So. Well, I guess uh, he could have just not shot a cop. Right. He had that I mean, choice. He could have made. Yeah. Don't yeah. Shoot, shoot the officer. Right. You know. For for a traffic violation. Yeah, he probably could have just gotten a ticket and rolled off, and then done his jewelry heist, and you know, gotten caught for that. God. Ridiculous. So, so did you like this segment? Um, I mean, I, it was I, pretty whatever. But then we got the update yeah. at the end. I'm like, that is wild. It, it's a shame that the the update isn't the segment because that seems like that'd be immensely fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did he so, ever like? But he must have left the house at some point. Maybe he was in disguise. You know. Well, it, it might be like, um, God, I can't remember the guy's name. I remember reading about there was this guy, you know, a Russian during World War Two, and he'd been in the Soviet Army. And when the Germans uh, came through, he just he he deserted and he went back to his farm. Uh, and then, like when the Russians uh, kicked the Germans out, he he was afraid he was going to be rounded up for being a deserter, so he hid in the, his his family's pigsty. And apparently he stayed in there for decades. Wow. Have you? Yeah. Like he, he emerged like 40 or 50 years later during like the Gorbachev era when he figured no, like apparently no, no one, it didn't even occur to the Soviet authorities to even come around asking about him. So, um, yeah, I, I agree that, you know, this is sort of like a, a like you say, this was a, a, a case of self-imprisonment. And so at least there was some sort of cosmic justice, if not actual legal justice. You know, even that uh, Georgia Tan lady in the segment before with the stolen children, she uh, apparently was stricken with cancer and three days later died. Uh, Hey, it's a shame we don't know what happened to the boyfriend. Maybe something really grisly happened to him. Well, hopefully. I mean, he didn't do anything. Why would we? Oh, of course. <laughs> um, you know, if you guys out there in Rumperland want to yell at us uh, or made baseless accusations about who you think 
killed Rayanne Mosser. Um, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Twitter still. At Reenacted it's, Pod. It's a fucking cesspool, but we're there. Uh, yeah, at Reenacted Pod is our handle. Uh, Robbie, we've got a Facebook page. Is there anything? Is that a thing we're still doing? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's a thing we still do. I need to. I need to put whatever recent screenshot I put on Twitter on the Facebook. Um, some people apparently visit our Facebook and oh, tell us okay. how great we are. Well, that's we nice. Well, thank you, whoever's doing that. Yeah. Um, and we also have email. An email. That's reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Yes, and uh, be sure to give us five star reviews. Just wherever you go, like get on Yelp, be like reenacted pod five stars. <laughs> Just wherever, do, do wherever you, you inter- can leave a five star review, do that. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, we, I'm looking forward to the next episode because they preview a situation where this couple finds a baby in a hat box. Yeah, it's a hat you- box baby, the famous. Yeah, you've heard of it, right? No. I haven't either. Okay, I... it's real famous according to Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hashtag rump. Hashtag rumpers. Hashtag stackheads. Um, hashtag we should probably that... wrap it up because this podcast is going to be an hour and twenty minutes long. Okay. <laughs> well. Um, okay. Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll just say goodbye then. You're not going to do the thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, Bye, kids. For every mystery, there is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you.